was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the on vacation, are you the plan everything out type or more of the figure it out when we get there type? I think I'm more of the planner type. So listen, after I bought a ring to ask Tori to marry me, I planned a trip to Savannah with both of our families. Now, I will say that both of our families are pretty large. And at the time, this trip included 19 immediate family members plus the two of us. So I was a little stressed out about how it all was going to go down and making sure it stayed a secret. But let me tell you, I had everything from the time we were supposed to be at lunch to the next stop to the next. I had every, um, I had even printed out maps with each location that got handed out to key people to make sure that everything went the way it was supposed to. And everything went well and Tori did say yes. And now that we've been married just over seven years, we've gone on a few trips as just the two of us. And when we plan a trip like that, we usually have a list of things we'd like to do, but there's not usually specific things planned for each day. We kind of figure it out as we go, but there is still a tentative plan. So this month we are in a series called Ghost Stories where we've been talking about who is this third part of the Godhead. 
I know when I was growing up, a lot of times the expression of Holy Spirit that would be talked about or even exhibited in church seemed quite sporadic. Um, someone even commented two weeks ago when we started this conversation that they were scared that they would catch the Holy Spirit. So every visible expression of him in a service always seemed so spontaneous and even disruptive at times. Now, I'm not here to say that what was displayed wasn't authentically Holy Spirit or even that he isn't ever spontaneous. But as humans, we tend to associate spontaneous with purposeless. And when Holy Spirit's role in our theology is purely spontaneity, we, whether consciously or not, begin to associate him as being without any purpose. And I think that's where things can get problematic. See, Holy Spirit is actually very intentional, and believe it or not, He also plans. Um, oftentimes, the only credit that we give Him is for interrupting a planned part of a church service, but Holy Spirit is just as valuable and ready in the planning, and His entire existence on earth in, and in us is not without purpose. So first of all, He came to bring us the fullness of the new covenant. In previous videos, we've already talked about how he is the power of God at work in the earth and to establish his church. But in today's video, let's look at the work of Holy Spirit in and through us, starting with John 7, 37 through 39, which says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now these he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this moment happened before Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, and obviously before the day of Pentecost. And the important part of this scripture, at least for today's topic, isn't necessarily what Jesus says, but the subtext that comes immediately after. This he said about the Spirit the river of living water. And we also find the promise of Holy Spirit being given to us who believe. Uh, do you remember the scripture in Ezekiel 47 when God was giving Ezekiel uh, the vision of the river flowing out of the temple and into the earth? It talks about the river bringing life and trees planted along the river that bear all sorts of fruits. Yeah, this is that river. So when he, we receive Holy Spirit and allow that river to flow out of our temple doors, since we are his temple, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, he floods the earth with life through us. So now we know that Holy Spirit has purpose beyond our church services, and he has intention and a plan for the earth. But what is it? So what does it look like, and what is his role and our role in it all? Well, let's look at some of the promises of who Holy Spirit would be and what he would do. So first, let's look at who he is. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. In this scripture, Holy Spirit is called a helper. When you look up that word, it actually has a loaded definition that you may have heard taught before. So this word in Greek is parakletos, and pardon me if I'm butchering this, but it means called to one's aid. The word is derived from two Greek words, para, meaning from close beside, and kaleo, which means to make a call. So literally, this title given to Holy Spirit means he's close enough to make a judgment call. Um, this word is also used for a lawyer, so someone who, is, who gives upstanding evidence in court. 
And this paints a picture of someone both giving us the right move to do and then confirming it was the right move. And according to that scripture, this advocate teaches us all things and brings to our remembrance all that Christ taught. Now, when I looked up the Greek word that was translated to all things, I kind of expected it to put some terms and conditions on it. Like, Holy Spirit will teach you all things as long as it's about righteousness, or Holy Spirit will teach you all spiritual things. So imagine my shock to see that all things means all things, no limitations, which I mean makes sense. Like the spirit that was hovering over the waters and involved with creating the universe that we live in probably knows a few things about math and science. So he is God after all. But it's funny that even though I know he's helped me personally on some tests and stuff, you just kind of expect something to be held back when it comes to Holy Spirit. You expect there to be this limitation because that's kind of what we've been taught. There's this separation between you and God and Jesus came to remove that separation, but then he left and the spirit that was sent to abide has been relayed through bad teaching that he's kind of flighty. Um, it's this ongoing lie that started at the creation when Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding back a part of himself from us. It's interesting, but now I'm off topic. So the spirit that abides and isn't flighty and stays close enough to make a call is a helper and teaches us all things. But what else does he do? Well, John 16, 13 says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So this is kind of along the same lines as Holy Spirit as a helper. He guides us into all truth. It's because this word for truth isn't just spoken truth. It's the very idea of truth. It's true reality, true morality and sincerity. It's also fascinating to me that this is the same word used when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and says that authentic worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So we'll worship in the truth that Holy Spirit leads us to. So our worship is transformed when we are submitted to Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 is a curious one. It says in him, speaking of Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or down payment, as it could be translated, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Holy Spirit is a seal. And I know the thought given here is more of like a signet ring where when sealing something up, you would put melted wax on it and seal it. And that seal verified it was for you and would prove that it hadn't been opened until the authorized person opened it. But when I read this scripture, I can't help but think of two-factor authentication on my phone. So I have a lot of apps and some of them require more security than others. And I honestly wouldn't care if someone got on my phone and turned on the flashlight. Like I'd be upset if they drained my battery, but the flashlight feature is so basic that you don't even have to know my phone passcode to turn it on. I mean, you can do it right from the lock screen. It requires no authentication, but I have apps that not only require a password, but also have to get a code texted to my phone to verify that it's me. And honestly, sometimes it's overkill. But for instance, we use the Adobe Suite to edit these videos and make graphics and all of that. And the Adobe Suite has two-factor authentication set up. So if someone wants to use the church email address to log into Photoshop, 
I get sent a text with a single code. And even if they put that code in, they still have to know the password. Thus, two factors of authenticity. So when I read this scripture, it feels a lot like that to me. We've been sealed into the Father through Christ's death and resurrection. It's the text message code that happens once to get you into where you can give the password, i.e. Holy Spirit, the seal that's always the same and is always with you. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I know that analogy is, it's kind of cheesy, but if I keep talking about it, then the next time you go to log into something that has two-factor authentication, I'll bet you're going to remember this analogy and it'll make you think about Holy Spirit. And in the end, it's done its job. Um, so Holy Spirit is a seal. Next, we have 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, which says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kind of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Holy Spirit gives gifts. He is the gift that keeps on giving. And in going with what we talked about earlier about Holy Spirit being for the earth, it says these gifts are given for the common good. So the gift of wisdom isn't only for yourself, it's for others. Now, I will say that when you do you, but with wisdom, a lot of times that is for the common good. But these gifts aren't for hoarding. The gift of prophecy isn't for your own glory or self-validation. It's for the common good. Same goes for the gift of discernment. If we use the gifts that Holy Spirit gives for our own ascension to celebrity status or for our own validation, then we're using them wrong. We're not honoring the gift or the giver of the gift. On the topic of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Y'all, this scripture completely does away with the Old Testament understanding of we can't know the plan or will of God. Not only does it say that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, and then clarifies that Holy Spirit comprehends it all, but it starts out by saying these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So, Holy Spirit isn't here to keep secrets, but he shares it with us. Um, next, let's look more into what Holy Spirit does. John 16, 7 and 8 tells us that he convicts us. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world discern concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, he goes on to say that Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. That's Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in him. He convicts of righteousness, which when you look at, when you look it up, means divine righteousness or the righteousness in which God is the author, which according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Holy Spirit convicts or exposes that we have become the righteousness of God through Christ. 
And finally, he convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Or as some translations say, the prince of this world has been condemned. So Holy Spirit, um, he convicts. He also fills believers. 1 Corinthians 3.16, which I mentioned earlier, says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Um, Holy Spirit helps us in weakness. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love this because the word helps can also be translated as takes interest in with others to perform a task. So Holy Spirit isn't just here to help because that's his job, but he's interested in helping because he cares. And that may seem like a small detail, but how many times have you helped something uh, because you felt obligated or it was technically your job, but your heart wasn't in it? So when you do that, you don't give as much effort and you're usually looking for an early exit. And that's not Holy Spirit with us. He's here because he cares and he wants to see it brought to completion. That's just so good. Galatians 5.16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he sanctifies us as we submit to him. Titus 3, 4 through 6 says he saves us saying, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we are saved by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. All of these scriptures speak to us of the work of Holy Spirit in our lives, and they show us what he is doing in us and wants to do through us. And it's important to remember that to the capacity that we allow God to work in us, that's the capacity that God is able to work through us. Holy Spirit works in us so that he can flow through us. His gifts, which we'll look at more in the future weeks, were given to us for the greater good. Holy Spirit is in the big picture as much as he is in the details. So my question is, are you allowing Holy Spirit to work in your life? Have you drawn a line somewhere or limited his work in your life by not allowing him to operate in one of these roles? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, first of all, I just thank you for your baptism. I thank you that we get to encounter and um, host you uh, in a way that wasn't known before Christ, um, in a way that wasn't even known by Adam and Eve. So I just, I thank you for this opportunity and for this, for this divine connection and this relationship that, that is taking us from glory to glory to glory. And I'm just asking today that um, as, we, as we think about you, as we listen to you, and um, as you teach us, like you said, God, that we wouldn't draw lines in the sand for where you're allowed to, uh, who you are allowed to be to us, but that we would be open to every single facet of who you want to be and that you would be welcome to be the fullness of who you are in us and um, in us and through us. And so, Holy Spirit, we just say we surrender. We are open to you today um, and uh, do what exalts your name. Do what makes you known in us and through us. And so we glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.